Hello, welcome to the Creative Writing Life podcast. Uh, today we have a special guest, but before we get there, I'm Justin Sloan. I'm P.T. Hilton. Hi, everybody. I'm Paul Zeidman. All right. And today, as always, I forget to ask how to pronounce people's last name, so I'll just try my best and see if he corrects me. We have Joel Searles. That's 100% correct. Hey, oh. Great to be here. Hello. Good <laughs> man here. All right. Um, gotcha. Cool. So, Joel, Joel and I met at uh, the LA Comic Con. We were both on a panel together. And we got to chatting afterward, and we met up for coffee in uh, South Pasadena, was it? I think so. Yes. Uh, yes. Beautiful area. Up again. Yeah, and uh, it's been a while. Yeah, we got to we got to get that going. But in the meantime, at least we have yeah. this virtual world we can live in. So, <laughs> lots of fun. And uh, and I thought it'd be fun to bring Joel on because he has some cool experience. He recently produced a movie with Nicolas Cage in it. Uh, was it called Dan- uh, Running with the Devils? Yeah, Running Nick Cage and Lawrence Fishburne, Barry Pepper, yeah. Leslie Bibb. A lot of good awesome. movies, a lot of good actors. Awesome, awesome. And and also you've uh, done some work at Paradigm, and you've produced a play, all kinds of cool stuff. Why don't you give us the quick introduction of who you are and all that awesome stuff? Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I, I'm, I hail from Ohio, Columbus. I come from a big military family out there, uh, going all the way back to World War II. I uh, grew up uh, there in central Ohio watching a lot of westerns and sci-fi and uh, action movies. Uh, favorite favorite film of all times, Back to the Future. Uh, yeah. I do love do love my westerns. I do love my uh, Searchers and um, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. I uh, really enjoy the Lethal Weapon series as well, the, the original films, and uh, Die Hard as well. So uh, while there in Ohio, I went to a small university there called Ohio State. Uh, we've got a fair football team and a fair <laughs> basketball team, uh, and actually they're they're really good. Uh, and while I was there, I studied theater and I always enjoyed the arts. I was actually kind of shy at times as a kid. Uh, so it kind of helped me, you know, break through some of that and connect with people a lot better. And, um, while at the school, I had an opportunity to, uh, write a play and you could write, you know, a new work and see if it could get produced. And so while I was there, I drew on some experiences myself and then from some of my friends who grew up there in central Ohio, uh, some blue collar friends of mine and I uh, wrote a play. It was a Western it's called uh, Antioch, and it covered uh, some pretty serious subjects. It covered uh, domestic violence, racism, and alcoholism, and it was, you know, you know, based on a lot of current stories and things I, I dealt with, but it was set 100 years prior. Uh, so it was a social vehicle, and that went up my senior year at school. We sold out six out of seven shows. Uh, my director, Brittany, I was a producer, writer, and actor in it, and we had a, a director, Brittany Fattrell, come in, and she did a great job, and so... Uh, I was able to graduate there from Ohio State with a, a degree in theater uh, with distinction because uh, I'd done almost like a master's level thesis with the um, uh, the play. And um, from there, I joined the Marines, spent seven years on active duty. I've, uh, I've been in charge of a platoon of Marines, a battery of Marines, um, and I've had a chance to deploy overseas. When I went to Afghanistan, I helped coordinate medical evacuations and close air support. Uh, weapons and gunships for troops under fire, so some serious business. Uh, I came home. I worked for two different Marine three-star generals, so I got to work on a couple senior-level staffs to see how that works, and got to meet some congressmen and different different uh, political figures. Uh, and then I transitioned out and went to UCLA Anderson to get my MBA, and that was more focused on entertainment. While there at the school, I did different internships 
uh, one for Unique Features, which is Bob Shea's company. Uh, Bob Shea was one of the founders of New Line Cinema, you know, and produced all the Nightmare on Elm Streets and uh, Lord of the Rings films and um, Rush Hours and Blades. So it was interesting working for him. I got a chance to work for Jimmy Miller at Mosaic, uh, which he's a big time manager and does a lot of comedy stuff. And then I worked on set. Um, I graduated from Anderson in uh, 2017 and I went into the mailroom paradigm. It's a talent agency here in uh, Beverly Hills uh, where they represent Stephen King and Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Imagine Dragons and uh, Billie Eilish and a lot, a lot of big different clients across uh, the entertainment spectrum. And I started in the mailroom and within a week I was working for a managing partner. Uh, his name is Andrew Ruff. Uh, he's also a Marine and uh, you know, real smart, great guy. And uh, went to work for him on his desk. I uh, had got a chance to work with big clients, Aston Martin, uh, and a lot of other ones. Uh, and then also, I, I took him a script when I started working for him. You're really not supposed to do that, but um, <laughs> I uh, I took him a script. It was uh, written by Jason Cavell. It's called Running with the Devil, and it was eventually became a film. Uh, and I brought it to Andrew, and he loved it. And I connected Andrew and Jason, and Jason came back with financing and funding, and uh, hired. A lot of Andrew's clients, Lawrence Fishburne, probably one of the biggest ones. And uh, I stayed there at Paradigm for about two years. Uh, got to go to all kind of premieres and meet <laughs> a lot of different people. And got to hear a lot of great phone conversations and meetings. And uh, I, I've now transitioned over to USC. Uh, I'm getting a one-year master's in finance. The goal is to go work more in, in entertainment banking and finance. I do still serve in the Marines. I'm a liaison for the Hollywood Public Affairs Office to Hollywood, uh, and I've had a chance to go and meet with you know, different executives at DreamWorks and Universal and uh, Warner Brothers, and uh, we're getting some meetings set up to go meet with people at Disney, too. So that's that brings me about where I, where I am. Hopefully that wasn't too long, but I want to give you guys the, the full, full bio the best I could. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be able to dive into that with the playwriting and the paradigm and all that. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, what, and producing uh, awesome experience. And so one thing I wanted to ask about, because I recently got forwarded an email that's about the uh, uh, agent training program. So I guess you start off at uh, at the mailroom and then you work, you do like a certain amount of time there and you do something else, something else. I forget where it was. I don't think it was Paradigm. I think it was one of these other agencies you recognize the name of. But um, so, so what are your thoughts on that? For an aspiring writer, do you think it's a distraction from the writing or do you think it's a good experience to get in there and figure out how the industry works? What are your thoughts? I think it's a great option. You have to go in there and tell them you want to be an agent, though. I mean, you know, right. tell people to lie. You need to make that decision on your own, but it's like you really have to go in there and basically sell them that you want to be an agent. Uh, it's a great place to learn. You'll get to you know, meet all kind of writers. You'll see how the sausage is made. So you know, I, I, can't, I can't say enough about starting at the, the bottom floor of an agency. Some people may think it's too good for, they're too good for that. Um, yeah. But you really learn a lot. You learn the players of the game. You hear a lot of conversations, and you're kind of a fly on the wall a lot of times where you learn stuff you'd never learn in the classroom. So if you've got that opportunity, I would take it. Just realize it's going to be a lot of hard work and a lot of long hours, and you know you have to pretend like you don't want to write. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a question: is like how much of then are you doing your grunt work all over again? How much are you the the E1 in this situation? Are you basically below E1? Oh, you're the E1. Yeah, you're, you, actually, sometimes you probably are below the E1. You don't probably get fed as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and uh, that you know, you don't have a gunny in charge of you or a sergeant, you know. So, anyways, uh, it's it's definitely the grunt work. It's definitely, you know, you're pushing a mail cart. You're, you're delivering the mail. You're delivering different videos. 
Um, I mean, film, you don't deliver films much anymore because that's kind of a, a gone, you know, bygone era now. Everything's on Vimeo link, but mail is still there. And so you've got to definitely move chairs and move tables and set up meetings and, and you know, deliver things to stars if they've got, you know, a package that comes in. You've got a lot of stuff you have to do um, that is pretty much grunt work. And it's, you know, I think I've swept the floor before. I've, I've used Windex. Lysol, all that stuff, and a suit and tie. So I look good while doing it. Um, and, you know, that's just that's the name of the game. Yeah, that's, that's great. So, yeah, what's one thing I've been talking about people with lately and debating about, like, points in your life? And, um, like, one advice I got recently was, uh, you know, if you want to be a writer, uh, it, you need to be writing. So, like, I went and met with the production people at DreamWorks, and they're like, we could hire you as a PA, but, you know, you're not going to be writing so you have to make that decision uh at the time this was like years ago actually like four years ago or something uh i buckled down and focused on the writing and then i went off to telltale or something so it must have been more like five or six years ago i guess but um i think i think it varies so my thought is and i want to see what your thoughts on this too like it, it varies based on where you are in your life too like if you can make a living from your writing it might make not make sense to go do that but if you're thinking i definitely want to be in hollywood and maybe you're not making a really good living on writing yet anyway that might be a good route or do you just say do it regardless because you need to get some foot in the door well uh could you rephrase that i want to make sure i answer it right yeah it's a lot of stuff i threw in there <laughs> basically saying like do you think it varies based on where you are in your life uh as far as if, if you're making a good living from writing do you think it makes sense to go do something like that which then takes away from your time that you're focused on the writing or, or would you if say you're not it doesn't make, matter? If you're not making the connections you need to make in the industry to um, move your writing along, I think it's a great thing to do for a year or two. Now, you're going to fight some ageism. Uh, yes. You know, you may have to put a toupee on or, you know, shave the beard or try to look as young as you can, you know. Not all uh, the listeners, but yeah, me specifically for sure. <laughs> I was, those I'm trying, to, try, trying not yeah. to put you in the crosshairs there, I'm just, but I'm just being as straight <laughs> as I can. You know, if you're in your early, late, late twenties, early thirties, mid thirties, it's it's definitely an uphill battle. It's an uphill battle if you're 22. Really? And so, you know, <laughs> I mean, you've maintained a youthful look, so you'll be fine. Um, right, right. Just but you know, just just realize, you know, it may not be CAA you get the opportunity at. You might as a veteran because they like veterans there, but you know, it may be a more boutique agency. Still, it's worth a year year and a half to hear the phone calls to see how the industry moves now as opposed to it did maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, since we're both veterans and we're talking probably to some veterans out there too, uh, right now I saw that there's VME, there's that organization here, they have a networking event coming up uh, in March I think, pretty soon anyway uh, that's basically a bunch of uh, assistants to writers rooms are going to get together and give a presentation and then network a little bit at the, uh, the post, the 43 or whatever um, so that's pretty exciting. So for people who are interested in that, uh, either email me yeah. after the fact. We can give you some information on that. And also the application for the Writers Guild Foundation's Veterans Writing Program is open right now. So, so I've heard a lot that. of good things about that. I've heard a lot yeah, of good yeah. things about the WGF, definitely. Nice. Are you familiar with any other good programs that people should be aware of, whether it's for veterans or, or not, before we, I let one of the other guys dive in? Um... Do you want me to me to recommend some programs? Oh, I just yeah, not to put you on the spot. If you don't have any off the top of your oh. head, you can just say, uh, eh, whatever. We'll, we'll think about it later. <laughs> well, I mean, let me let me, let me give it give it a moment here. I mean, it's kind of like some of the different programs. I mean, if you've got veterans who really want to write, I mean, 
you can always go do an MFA program, but I don't know if that's always the best route. I think being an assistant to a, a you know writer's PA, a writer's okay. room PA, or an assistant to a showrunner, and then finding time for yourself to write on the weekends. Yeah. You know, I think that's really what you got to do. And I know that sounds rough, but um, unless you've got the GI Bill benefits and want to go do like a USC Stark program or a USC screenwriting program, which I know you learn a lot. And the people that run those programs, uh, even UCLA ones, you know, they're legit. They've got street cred. LMU has a great producing program. There's a lot of stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what veterans should look at. Most importantly is when you're transitioning. I am gonna I am gonna throw a pitch here. I think it's important veterans get a business understanding of the industry. So if you're able to mix a part-time MBA or take some business classes while you're also doing your screenwriting, uh, that really helps a lot in understanding that it is a business. Again, I, I stress the experience at an agency. You know, is another form of like a business class. You know, it's like a different form of a master's degree. So I highly recommend that. Again. Awesome. Yeah, that's some good advice that I've been hearing lately, too, is uh, a lot of people who've been saying, like, if I could do it over, I would just go be an assistant to one of the writers who's doing well, which, you know, is easier said than done, probably. It's competitive, I'm sure. But great advice. Oh, PT, did you want to? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say it's, it's competitive. Sometimes those writing programs will open the doorway for you. You get to uh-huh. leverage the network. But um, it probably, well. If it's gonna, if it's a two-year writing program or one year, I could see that. But if it's anything that's like, you know, more than two years, you know, they're taking up a lot of your time. It's better right. off just to get started. Mm-hmm. Jump in there. So, uh, cool. Cool. PT, well, do you have anything you want to jump in with? Yeah. Hey. So, uh, so Joel, uh, with with all your experience and at the at the various different levels. I, I wonder what's what's maybe one or two things you think that the average writer who's listening to this um, might might not know or might get wrong about what the way the industry actually kind of works? Well, that's a great question. That's a really great question. And, you know, I think the best way to answer it is probably through uh, my experiences with Jason, the SEAL. And, you know, he came to this town six, seven years ago. He started out doing background work and, you know, he, he, I think he was, he, played a part in like a episode of the TV show. And so he was trying out different sites to see where he really fit. And he never thought he could write a script. You know, he wrote all kind of reports uh, as a seal and he had to write, you know, very you know detailed reports that you know, weren't supposed to read like a phone book. They were supposed to read more like a novel. And he did a lot of that work for different intelligence agencies um, on his time in the service. So he started writing out you know, screenplays and he kept going through them and he, he went and found and read as many screenplays as he could, whether it was Michael Mann's Heat, whether it was, you know, I don't know if he read Gone with the Wind, but it's like he read, you know, old school scripts. He read new stuff that came out. He read scripts that were from movies that were just awful. He read scripts that never got produced. He read, you know, blacklist scripts. He, I think he read like a thousand of them. You know, he kind of did a Malcolm Gladwell, just read so many of them where he just got an intuition. And then he just started writing. He kept writing and, you know, he'd get feedback from legit people, you know, that would look at his stuff and, if you heard it two or three times on the same thing, okay, this 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 first act really just lulls a lot. It's really not that strong. Okay, I'll go back and fix the first act and try to find out and dissect where that's at. And, you know, it, everything moves very slow. I mean, with the exception of if you're Tarantino or maybe even Spielberg. But it's usually, you know, five to seven years to get a film made. And I read Running With the Devil under its first name, which was called Rivers and Roads, at UCLA. I read it actually in one of the conference rooms. I had a free time. 
and I read Jason's script there. And um, I think that was five years ago now, five years ago from like last month or this month, you know, if not longer. And so he wrote that script six or seven years ago. So it took him a long time and, he, you know, continually kind of pounding the streets and going out and meeting with people and taking legitimate feedback on his screenplay to make it good enough to where an Oscar winning actor liked it, an Oscar nominated actor liked it, a bunch of producers liked it, agents liked it. I mean, he really spent a lot of time and it must have been 50 drafts or something. And I, I may be exaggerating on, on, on as many drafts, but I just know he did a lot. I would say more than 20 in his screenplay. And he wasn't against people telling him, hey, this really this really is not that good, and here's why. And I think there's a lot of writers, and I've dealt with ones who will take feedback and ones that are too good. And the ones that are too good, you don't really see people working with them. That's just my own opinion. And I think reading I think reading Bill Goldman's books are excellent. Are you familiar with those? Yes. Yeah, those are yeah, those are I, great. I, yeah, I think he nailed it. I mean, I, I actually kind of sad he passed away because I'd like to have met him in person reading his books. I was really touched by them, but they gave really honest feedback. And and you also have to remember, you know, and I know I just said you had to take people's advice. You also have to realize, too, some, you know, this industry is like nobody knows anything really, which is what Bill Goldman had put in his book. And there's truth in that, too. So you have to kind of rely on your gut, but you have to be willing to take feedback and rewrite your script and rewrite your script and have have perfect discipline. Have near perfect discipline where you're always just working, trying to get it better, and you're not getting sidetracked, almost obsessive. And that, that seems to be when I've seen people who succeed in the industry, their energy levels like that. They're always working, they're always excited to work. So I hope I didn't spend too long answering that. No, that was a, that was a great answer. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, well, I will jump in then. I have a couple of questions. First, I want to go back to your play, which sounds yeah. fantastic. So I'm curious, you know, you don't usually hear about somebody writing a Western play. So what was, you know, what was the inspiration for that? You know, what was the story? And, you know, I think you kind of touched on a little bit about the production. So if you could just talk about that, you know, where it was performed and, you know, what the reactions were. That's the that's, that's first part of my question. I'll get to the second one after you do all the play stuff. Sure, sure. So, you know, I was I was going there to Ohio State and, you know, I I, um, I come from a broken home. So I, I kind of had seen enough things growing up where I'm like, hmm, you know, I could kind of put this into some type of vehicle, and maybe make something artistic, kind of, you know, a, 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 a voice, a voice that one needed to be heard or, or a, um, a story that really should have been told that was that could cross kind of you know gender and boundaries and, and ages. And you know, I sat down with this one professor, Dr. Joy Riley, who's now since retired from um, Ohio State. And I talked with her about it. And I said, you know, I've got these experiences. I have friends who have these experiences. They've told me the stories. I'd, I'd like to put them in something unique. And I've always loved Westerns, always loved Westerns, you know. Um, and it's too bad Hollywood doesn't make as many as they used to. But, you know, the industry changed and the culture changed. Right. I mean, Clint Eastwood's 90 now, so you can't have him going around – doing Josie Wales part two, because uh, I think he's, you know, I don't think he's, it's, it's, it's time for him to be riding horses anymore, but who knows? Um, and so I, I just, I went to Joy and, you know, she had this, this great Irish accent, you know, she grew up in Ireland and she's like, I think Westerns are wonderful, Joy, fantastic. And, you know, we should make sure this Western, we have, we have make sure it's, a, you know, full of Western. And I was like, okay, full Western. So I'm like, okay, I've got these serious social things I've seen and, and lived with and, you know, and, and friends have, and I'm like, okay, I'll put it all together, but I'll mix in 
some of the traditional Western things, you know, the bar fights and breaking bottles and people fighting and stuff. I don't know if we broke any bottles. I think we did. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put in there some gunfights and stuff, but I'll make it real as well. You know, we had a bartender who was African-American and, you know, made up to where, you know, he, he was, he was looked down upon. He was the bartender. He was the black guy, you know, in the early 1900s, you know, nobody, you know, people were, were rude to him. And then, you know, you had the, uh, you know, on the character I played, you know, I tied in some of my own life into it, you know, and a single parent home and, you know, the one, one parent had passed away and, you know, it was always a struggle. Um, and the, uh, the other home that was, you know, the other family that was involved, you know, the father was domineering and a drunk, which, you know, <clears throat> that's, you know, any state in the union, any country in the U.S. or in the world has a, a character like that. And, and I modeled the father figure after Lee Marvin, who hmm. uh, usually played a bad guy in old westerns and usually played a drunk. Uh, and so I, I modeled the bad guy father after him. And so there were some like elements taken from, you know, historic western films. And then I also had done True West. I'd done True West hmm. in the scene study, which is a Sam Shepard play, which actually deals with the industry, the Hollywood industry, and is a, and is a western. I think John Malkovich and Gary Sinise did it on stage. I think. Back in the eighties, or maybe film. Anyways, then um, those guys were my, some of my favorite actors. So I, I even thought, okay, well, True West was something that was unique, and it touched on social issues. Maybe I can. So I drew some inspiration from True West, which is a great play if you've never read it. Um, we're seeing it, and so that's kind of like where I plugged the play into. I wanted something different. I wanted something unique and fresh, uh, and I got that. I, I think that Joy she helped me along the way extensively. And making the Western, you know, well-rounded. It was only an hour long. I probably should have made it two hours. But I made it very quick. And it was supposed to be, I mean, Shakespeare had a certain, like, you know, move through the play to make it good. And I tried to make it have a similar kind of a trot to gallop to trot and then, like, you know, a full sprint all the way through. Um, so pardon for some of the background noise. Excuse me. That's okay. That's okay. I, uh, I'm sorry That's- about that. Um, I have a thing that's quiet here and then a police car goes by. It'll add flavor to this podcast. That's right. Um, but um, so, you know, I, I, I plugged all that stuff in and we, we went, went to the school board for funding. And, um, you know, they were very, you know, ecstatic about the, the, the play and the concept. And, um, you know, they, they were ecstatic about some of the diversity that was brought out in it. And they granted me $7,000, which to my knowledge is the most ever to that point. And from then to given to a student, an undergrad to produce their own work at the school. Because usually the main stage production's got, I think, 10 or 12 grand. And so I was getting, you know, two thirds or almost two thirds of, of that amount. And, you know, what <laughs> I'd never produced a play before. I'd never been given a budget, you know, <laughs> there you go. So I hope that answers your question. I know that was was pretty broad. No, no, it was fine. It was fine. So it's very, uh, you know, very informative. I just because the idea of you know, you don't ever you don't ever really think of a western as a single location kind of story because you know you it's usually you know a film and it's set in the outdoors. But it sounds like you know yours was a one location indoors and just you know and the fact that it was able to handle so many issues. I think that you know that definitely says something. Well, I wanted to use blanks and I wanted to use like, you know, go a lot bigger. But the mm-hmm. set the set we had, like since it wasn't like I don't know if you're familiar with Tecumseh. That's a Western play there. They I think it's in Ohio. Um, and then I think 
Geronimo. There's a couple of like outdoor Western plays that have been done there in Ohio that I was mm-hmm. aware of. And I've, I've seen Tecumseh as well in person. So that, that, and they have like live horses on, you know, riding around because it's outdoors and it's an amphitheater. So I wanted kind of some of that environment, but I wasn't able to fully get it because I didn't want to burn down the school, you know, with a blank <laughs> or and I didn't want any actors getting in any trouble or anything like right. that. So, right. um, we, we adjusted it. So yeah, we did still, you know, we had sound effects and that type of stuff, but you know, we, we kept it within a, a, a realistic realm. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. No. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. So my other question was now, forgive me if you already kind of covered this. So what was your position with Paradigm and how did you get there? Because a lot of people, you know, they, they see managers and agents as kind of like, you know, it's the it's the end game. It's, you know, this is what I want to get for. Uh, but, you know, they also have to realize, you know, it's also an industry unto itself. So like how, you know, what was your access point to that? And then like, how were you able to utilize that? And you know, what were some of the benefits you got from being there? Well, you know, the, the access point, I had a mentor and a friend of mine help me at least get into the mailroom. He's like, yeah, connect you with HR and, you know, the interviews on you and, you know, you've got to take it from there. So I at least got the interview through a friend. Okay. And then I, I sealed it there in the interview and, you know, they liked who I was and my background. And there was another Marine uh, who was working at the company who'd spent time in the scout snipers and he was a former sergeant. So he was there in the interview as well. And he must've given me a blessing, you know, given my blessing to the, uh, the HR rep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I think I started a couple of weeks later um, and it was, you know, a mailroom position. There was no, Hey, you're going to come in and be like, you know, the owner's assistant. You're going to be, uh, you know, like a finance guy or, you know, some business guys that you're going to start out, you know, at the bottom. Okay. And, you know, there was a meeting I had in the mailroom with, with, uh, her name's Mary Izzo. She's an agent there at Paradigm and she was an assistant then. And she kind of saw me and she was like, who are you? I was like, oh, hey, I'm Joel. Nice to meet you. And we started chatting. She's like, what's your background? I said, I I was in the Marines for a while. And she kind of nodded and she's like, you need to talk to my boss. I'm like, who's your boss? His name's Andrew. I'm like, okay. And so I went and had a meeting with Andrew about a week, you know, actually a few days later. Um, you know, he, he, he was, uh, he resembles my older brother in mannerisms, uh, build and facial expressions. And also like, he's very similar in like what he likes as well, which, you know, I like action movies and stuff. So does he. And so we had a great meeting and you know, I started on his desk. I got my turnover and, you know, I was there answering calls for him and, you know, fielding calls and emails and scheduling lunches. And, uh, you know, I had to. <laughs> Had to do the normal assistant stuff and took one of his Aston Martins back I think, to the shop because it was having problems. And I got to borrow an Aston Martin one time. It was pretty neat um, because I did a lot of work for them on one of the vehicle launches. And um, I, uh, I mean, it was you know a lot of late hours, a lot of working Saturdays. Sometimes I'd work on Sundays to make sure things got done. Um, and then um, you know I got a lot of meetings. I got to sit in on stuff and. You know, phone calls. I think Don King called us once. Alec Baldwin called us. Uh, who else? Some other big stars and stuff would call too. We, you know, we'd put Andrew on the line and stuff in chat. Um, and I worked for him for you know well over a year. And after that, I transitioned to a couple other parts of the company to get more experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I became I was also an agent trainee for a while too. There at Paradigm, just you know, see if that suited my fancy, which um, that was you know, in the long run. And I don't think that was the right right role for me. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, I think that's a really important lesson. I mean, it's not just for people who want to get into the representation part, but for writers, you know, that your connection via the Marines, that's, that was your, that was your in, and you were able to use that to your advantage in a very positive way. And a lot of writers think, well, you know, I don't know anybody, but you know, you might be surprised how many people you actually know. It might not be through a branch of the military. It might be, you know, someone who went to the same school as you, or someone, you know, yeah. someone who someone who went to your high school, someone you know who's from the, at least the same region of the t- of town that you grew up in. So I think you know a lot of people, they might, uh, I don't know, they might not give as much weight to that kind of access. So I think just the fact that you were able to do that, and also you know it worked out. You know, sounds like it worked out really well for you. Uh, you know, that's that's just something really uh, that anybody trying to break into uh, you know this kind of industry, I think that's really something to take heed of. Thank you. Yes, it, and, and I think being humble is important. I think the fact that, you know, I, I had confidence but humility about me, I think, endeared me to, you know, certain people there and obviously my boss and, you know, some of his clients and stuff, they still reach out to me. Um, and, we you know, I chat with, them, chat with them on certain things they may be doing, former clients as well. So I, it seemed like I made a pretty good impression on a lot of folks there just by, you know, being a, being a straight shooter, um, being, you know, uh, humble and also trying to be low key and just focused on what, you know, needed to be done, the business aspect, mm-hmm. you know, or, or taking care of the clients or, you know, supporting the film or reading the script. And, you know, somebody wants my notes. I had that happen once where one of, uh, one of the clients wanted my notes and stuff. I'm like, okay, I didn't, didn't know I was a big shot, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> So, you know, not letting that stuff go to your head and being around good people, I think that helped as well during my time there. That's great. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, great advice. Um, We're coming up toward the end of our time already. These these are always way too short, but we do that so that (laughs) when you have something else exciting to hop on, we have more stuff to talk about as well. So, yeah, I always come back. But uh, (laughs) before we close out, do you so you you have your own experience? And I'm sure the answer to this is. uh, humongous based on uh, all the different factors but uh for for you like when you're looking at scripts like having been involved in this and and showing scripts to people and having having probably read quite a few uh what do you look for what do you or what is a turnoff you know what, what do you look for and what is a turnoff it's a great question you know and i i think the the first thing um that i look for you know i i give usually scripts 10 to 20 pages to get mm-hmm. going and sometimes I'll, I'll give it a little bit longer if I think there's something there. But it's kind of a gut instinct of, you know, dialogue, uh, you know, how, how the scene's set up, you know, does the first or second, does the second or third page of the screenplay look like a phone book where it's just you know, mm-hmm. text, 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 text. There's like no free space whatsoever. And I'm like, boy, this is, you know, it's like reading classical literature. I'm like, okay, this is not more novellic, you know, or does it have a good structure to it? So, I, I, you know, Gut instinct, you know, presentation is important, you know, but the content has to be there in the, in the dialogue and the, uh, I think the emotional engine has to be expressed. Uh, anything you read of Stephen King, it's like you pick it up, you start reading the page, and it's like the engine takes off, you know, if, if you like that type of material. Um, and, and just because something is what also is, is, is professional looking and, and reads clean, if there's no underlying emotional current, it's like we're very clinical, you know, you're like, okay, this is just, you know, the same old stuff I've seen. So uh, that, that's, that's definitely uh, a turn on and turn off. Um, I, think, I think the biggest, the biggest you, know, excite, uh, you know, thing that excites me when reading a script is it's a fresh idea. It's something that hasn't been regurgitated, which, you know, we've, we've, 
whether you're a writer or producer or agent or, you know, you want to see something fresh and, and, you know, from my time at paradigm, from, you know, to throughout the industry, you know, I, I, I've read quite a few different fresh scripts, but the ones that really have stuck with me, you know, I can count them on my hands. Mm-hmm. So you really have to spend a lot of, and a lot of time has been put into those. So you almost know it when you see it, you know, it when you read it for sure, and, for sure. um, you know, page length, I think final point page length as well. If I see a script that's like 160 pages and it's really not supposed to be an epic, you know, it's supposed to be like a rom-com or a horror film. I'm like, eh, I don't think it's supposed to be 160. So there's a few things that kind of can tip your hat. You could be wrong, but you know, presentation is important, but what's more important is the emotional engine of the script. Right on. And uh, we always do this. We'll let you go last because um, that way you're not like put on the spot right away. But we always say like what are you th- something that we're either listening to or watching or reading or whatever. So just to close us out on that, uh, I will say I'm finally, finally watched and I'm now listening to the audiobook of 112263 by Stephen King. And um, oh. loving it. I don't, I don't know why I ignored it for so long. I think I watched like a first episode or started reading the book and I was like, eh. And I just stopped, and then like two years later or whatever it is, <laughs> I'm 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 all in, you know. <laughs> it's kind of fun. So if anybody has ignored it, stop it right now. Go go watch it. Go read it. Uh, what about PT? What you, what you reading or watching or whatever? Uh, I am. I'll, you know you know I've been I've been uh, super busy and uh, stressed at work lately. So my like way to unwind is I've been watching like 80s slasher movies. <laughs> so I've been, I've been watching like the Halloween and the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Uh, nice. And then I discovered a, a cool podcast about them called "In uh, In Voorhees We Trust." It's called. It's very good. <laughs> Sounds cool. Uh, I'm slowly catching up to the Best Picture nominees. I uh, saw. So I watched Joker, which uh, I liked it. I you know I I'd heard it was dark and it was very very taxi driver like, very much the case. And I thought you know. You know, there's. I really hope they do not make a sequel because uh, I don't think they could make it work. Uh, also, I think it. You know, it uh, was just very well done. I think Joaquin Phoenix did a fantastic job. Totally deserved the best actor. Uh, I really liked how you know there were hints of the Batman story to it. Uh, so that's all I'm going to say about that for anyone who hasn't seen it. Uh, and also, it was recommended to me to uh, see 1917 on the big screen, and I did. Oh my gosh, that was amazing! And you know, no slight against Parasite. But I think 1917 should have got Best Director because just the way they were able to make everything work in that, that was just, it was amazing to watch. And the big screen, I think, just really emphasized everything. And, you know, it was just a a phenomenal uh, achievement in filmmaking. I was just totally blown away by it. It was really good. Excellent. Joel, you got anything for us? You know, I, I, I'm going to touch on 1917 as well. I saw that in theaters, and that's that's the last film I saw in theaters, and it was just it blew me away. Uh, you know, very, very well done. Highly recommend checking that out. Uh, you know, on a retro, um, a retro on a feel, I've, um, I'm going to be watching L.A. Confidential here. Mm. It's probably one of the best police nice. films, I think best film noirs ever made. Uh, I can't believe that's almost 25 years old now. Um, but that's definitely uh, that, that's a great great film to revisit, and it tells a, a pretty pretty true Hollywood story that still exists today. Great. Well, I muted myself for a second on accident. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Joel, for coming on this show and hanging out with us. Uh, can people find you anywhere? Twitter, websites, whatever. 
Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram, just Joel Searles on Instagram. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn too. If anybody wants to check out, check me out there. Uh, I've got a Twitter account, but I'm not very active on it. And then I'm on Facebook too. So uh, be more than glad to make new friends and stuff. People have questions or you know, reach out to me, and I'll I'll do whatever I can to help you or give you a direct answer. Super cool. All right, and yeah. thank you, listeners. Uh, leave a review. Follow us. Uh, I'm Justin Sloan at Justin M Sloan. I'm P.T. Hilton at uh, P.T. Hilton. And I'm Paul Zeidman, uh, MaximumZ.blog, and also on Twitter at Maximum underscore Z. Thanks for listening to the Creative Writing Life podcast. Now, everybody, go write something. <laughs>